Awesome. Well, good evening, uh, NC State. Welcome. Hope you guys are doing well, crew. Um, my name's Dave. This is Webb Simpson, a good friend uh, of mine, and we had um, made plans to hang some uh, this weekend and uh, just asked uh, Webb uh, if he would be uh, interested in coming out and just sharing a little bit with you. And so we're just going to do a quick Q&A. Just a couple things some of you guys may not know, but Webb grew up uh, here in Raleigh, maybe three or four miles down the road, and uh, played um, golf at Broughton High School, which is uh, right down the road as well. Uh, had a great career there in high school and then went on to uh, play at Wake Forest University on the Honor Palmer Scholarship down there. And uh, tonight, Webb, I'd probably like to, before we move into this, just uh, on behalf of NC State, um, offer you forgiveness uh, for doing that. And uh, I mean, you grew up here and uh, then you go down the road. I don't know what's up with that, but we, uh, we do forgive you. And uh, because uh, at Wake, he um, was an All-American uh, won the ACC championship uh, his senior year. He was ranked number one in the world uh, as an amateur and then uh, turned pro a few years ago. And uh, the, um, as you just saw, uh, that just took place uh, actually on Monday and um, just won his second PGA Tour career and uh, pretty uh, exciting times uh, for Webb. So just um, if you could quickly as we walk through this Webb, Catches up on uh, maybe the last three weeks. I mean, I know a few things have changed. Yeah. Uh, I know you still have the old shorts that you had back in high school, but <laughs> just uh, tell us what happened the last three weeks. Um, well, first of all, thanks for letting me come be a part of this. Um, unfortunately, I did not. I was not a part of uh, Campus Crusade back at Wake Forest, but um, you know, just to be here and look around and see you guys worshiping our Savior is so encouraging for me because. One of the hardest things about being on the PGA Tour is that um, we don't really, you know, we're playing on Sunday. So my church, when I am home, you know, we only get to go a few times a year. So anytime I get a chance to worship, especially with kids who are hungry for the Word and hungry for God, is so encouraging. So I, I appreciate you guys having me. Um, but anyways, the last few weeks have been um, a whirlwind, to say the least. I've had a few chances to win this year on the PGA Tour and have come up short. Um and, you know, uh, finally in Greensboro three weeks ago, I was able to break through and, um, and win. And it was really cool um, for a lot of reasons, but mainly just to have my friends and my family and everybody who's always watched me play uh, be there and celebrate with me. And um, it was just it, it was a worshipful experience. I told Dave today that I just got to walk through the whole round with God and um, and he and he pulled me through. And then uh, first playoff event was two weeks ago in New York um, and we finished 10th. And then last week. Um, it was funny because going into the week, you know, uh, the first few days I was playing terrible. Um, the Pro-Am, which is the day before the tournament starts, I had a horrible day. So I didn't have really any expectations and, um, you know, found myself there only two shots back going to the final round and um, made a little run and came out with a victory. So um, it has been a crazy few weeks. Huge. And just so, so the guys would know that um, what you just saw, uh, Webb had – made uh, about a 25-footer on the 18th hole for a birdie um, that actually helped you get into a playoff. And then you, got, you made a, another about 15, 18-footer for birdie to tie. And then that was the third hole of a sudden-death playoff that you made that putt in one, uh, correct? So, second hole. Second hole, correct. So let me uh, ask, you know, one thing uh, real quick. How, how did, you know, as a PGA, your first victory that you won, uh, obviously it was a dream um, since the first time you probably touched the club. Um, how did you celebrate that night uh, <laughs> afterwards? Well, uh, 
my son's name is James. His bedtime is 7 o'clock. So we end up leaving Greensboro about 8 o'clock, so it's past his bedtime. So the whole ride to Charlotte, my wife and I whispered the whole way so he wouldn't wake up. And we stopped at Wendy's to get some food. Um, and we get back, and we're tiptoeing in, put him down, and my wife and I go to bed early. So there was not much of a celebration. <laughs> so Wendy's, uh, what, what did you... Uh, double two, cheeseburger fries. Beautiful, absolutely. Two beautiful. diet cokes. Praise God, that's incredible. Uh, so, so um, one one thought, Webb. You know, as you were um, there uh, playing in uh, Boston, where where you won, um, you mentioned to me something. I mean, first round, in the middle of the round, because I mean, obviously, as a professional athlete, when you're in the game, I mean, um, does God play a role while you're in the game? I mean, sometimes you do the this kind of setting or whatever, but like uh, I think it was like the eighth and ninth hole. Walk us through what you and your caddy talked about. Well, uh, my caddy has been with me for a year now, or this year, starting in January, and um, he's a believer, loves Jesus. Um, and one thing I love about him is he's not afraid to say what he thinks, and I've, I've given him full permission to whenever he wants say whatever he thinks. And that was actually a bad experience one time because – the Players' Championship this year, I birdied the first three holes of final round, hit in the water on the fourth hole, made triple bogey. And he's kind of quiet on me, and I said, Paul, what are you thinking? He's like, no, nah, I probably shouldn't say it. And I, I said, you can say whatever you want. And he just went on and on for five minutes about why did I not just hit it right at the green and, and avoid the water. So it was pretty fun, and we had to laugh about it. But anyways, <laughs> the eighth hole this past week, um, I hit a shot, what I thought should have been perfect, uh, yardage and end up coming up 30 feet short, which on a par three, that's not that bad for, the, for uh, those of you who don't know golf that well. It was a pretty good shot. But I kind of complained about it. Um, I didn't really make an excuse. I was kind of being hard on myself. And walking off the tee, Paul just says, we're going to have to have a talk. And I'm like, what do you want to talk about? And he said, um, I'm just questioning your attitude right now. He said, it doesn't seem like you're playing for the joy of God. It seems like you're playing for yourself. He's like, why are you even out here? Why are we here? Um, and I was just pretty quiet. It was hard for me to take at the time, but it was such a encouragement at the time because, you know, for the first hour and a half of that round, I'm, all I'm thinking about is myself, and, and Paul just kind of redirected me to, to give me the vision that we are not out there for ourselves. We're out there for the joy of God and for the glory of God. So it was a, it was a cool experience. That's awesome. Well, it was just um, a few years ago you were this age. I mean, I know you look a little bit older, but you're still a young punk to some sense. <laughs> but um, you um, walk us through, you know, those college years, obviously, Wake Forest studies and, uh, a, you know, Division One athlete, it's a pretty rigorous schedule. Um, walk us through that spiritual journey, kind of, you know, what, um, where God was there and where he wasn't and, and how, how you um, just some things turned around. Walk us through that. Yeah, so my testimony in a matter of a minute or so. Um, I grew up in a Christian home, going to church every Sunday. Um, you know, I look back and I think I had a faith of my own then, um, but it was for Sundays. Um, and so I get to college and um, I'm kind of continuing on that path. Um, Jesus is still, you know, I love Jesus, but I love him on Sundays. I don't really show that I love him Monday through Saturday. So uh, I meet a girl. Um, who's now my wife. Uh, she's amazing. I met her my freshman year at Wake, um, and we started dating. And then senior year comes, we had our struggles, and uh, she breaks up with me in November, kind of out of nowhere. Um, and I'll be real with you guys, because I know what it was like to be in your shoes. You don't want a guy up here telling you stuff that, you know, he's he's not really telling the truth. So 
the truth is my wife and I at the time were struggling with sexual sin. We were, we were doing things that we shouldn't have been doing. Um, and so sin comes in our relationship. It affects everything. We don't really know what's going on. Um, and so it was affecting her a lot more than it was affecting me. I, I'm more of kind of a... Um, you know, freelance guy, just kind of whatever happens, happens. You know, every day for me is a good day. But for her, it was really affecting her and affecting her heart. Um, so, you know, we tried to set boundaries. We tried to do this and that, and nothing worked. Um, so she's living in Atlanta my senior year, and she shows up at my house unannounced. And I was so excited to see her, but then I see the look on her face, and I realize it's probably not a good thing that she's there. So she sits me down, and we talk for about an hour, and she breaks, breaks up with me. Um, she just felt like the Lord was telling her to um, flee temptation. And so that being said, I went through a dark couple of weeks. I've always been a, pretty much the happiest guy I know. So first two weeks <laughs> ever that I'm not happy, I was depressed. I was crying, which I never did. Um, and so I, I pretty much felt like God met me there in that moment on my couch at Wake Forest and basically said that, the feelings I have about Dowd, the feelings I have about her, how much I love her, how much I want to be with her, are the feelings that you need to be having about me. Um, and so I realized that Dowd was an idol in my life. I was worshiping her way more than I was worshiping God. She was filling me up and not God. And God took her away from me for a while. And so at that point, I kind of made up my mind that I was going to get serious about my faith that I'd always professed that I believed. So um, Dave and I hit it off. I, I come home Christmas break and we walk through a few things. And, um, that's kind of when I got serious about my faith. And, um, by the grace of God, she came back and we got married uh, a few years later. Praise God. And as the, the picture showed, a little man, James, uh, how, how old? Almost Six, seven months. Almost seven months. So. Great golfer. Incredible. Right. That's <laughs> awesome. Well, um, Webb, you know, one, one thing, um, just a lot of these students here, I mean, you've got future lawyers, future doctors, future engineers, uh, businessmen, athletes, I mean, uh, amazing future right here in, in front of us. And, and for you, as a, as a professional athlete, I mean, some cool things have happened. You're, you're number one right now uh, in front of Phil Mickelson and Tiger Woods and all on, on the money list and uh, in, the, in the FedEx points. Um, so for, for, just moved to 14th in the world, uh, just made the uh, President's Cup. So you'll be playing on the President's Cup with uh, some of these guys. And, and, and last week, obviously, was um, a good four days of work. Uh, I think the papers and everything shipped about $1.4 million. That's a pretty good four days of, of work um, and good check. But, but with all of that, I mean, it, all of this is, uh, for a lot of people, that's the ultimate, right? I mean, for a lot of people, that's the dream. Right. And, and um, you, you've experienced the success, but um, what, is it, what does that compare to your relationship with Christ? Well, um, you know, I've been fortunate this year to have a great year, and I was telling Dave earlier, I said, um, what my sport offers, the excitement that it offers, what you just saw, you know, for me or for a golfer, that's as, as close to as good as it gets for excitement and for a thrill and for joy. Um, you make a big putt on the last hole, you get in a playoff, you make a big putt, and you win the golf tournament. Um, and so... As the world would see it, that's as good as it gets, right? You win a lot of money. Um, you, you do great in front of a lot of people, and a lot of people think you're great at what you do. So that being said, um, I get done. I look at my wife, and I tell her, I say, look, none of this at all is anything compared to you or, or knowing Jesus. Because at the end of the day, you know, what is that going to give me? I was on a run yesterday morning, and I saw this 
85-year-old man getting wheeled around by an older lady, um, and he's dying. And I kind of slowed my run down a little bit, and I, I really thought about it. I felt like God was telling me to think about this man um, and that I'll be there before I know it. And what is a win in Boston 50 years prior going to do for me then? It'll do nothing. And so, man, it, it just made me think that when I'm 85, when I'm dying, when I'm getting older, the things that are going to be most important to me are how well did I love my wife, how well did I love God, how much did I love people. And those are the only things that matter. Um, my trophies by then will have rust on where they'll probably be in the trash. Um, and so compared to the riches of Christ and knowing him, it, it's really nothing. So, so Webb, it sounds like you're saying the game itself, this, this game of golf, is uh, a means to an end. It's, it's not an end of itself. Right. Is that, is that correct? Right. I mean, I, mean I, I feel that the only reason that God has me playing golf on the PGA Tour is for his glory and his glory alone. So it's not for me to... I mean, it is it is my job, and it is you know providing uh, food for my family, house, and all that. But at the same time, he's placed me there for one purpose, and that's for him. And it's not for it's not for me. And for anybody out there, if you're going to be a, a lawyer, a doctor, a writer, um, it's not your identity. Your identity is in the Lord. Amen. But Webb, one last last thing. I mean, um, what one word of encouragement uh, to this generation? I mean, you're just a a few years ahead of them. Um, you you've got one one shot, right? Um, one challenge, one encouragement. What what would you tell this generation? Well, it's funny you ask that because not too long ago, my wife and I were sitting down at dinner, and I said, "Sweetie, if you could go back, 2003, when you're a freshman at Wake Forest, and you spend four years there, what would you do different? What what would you take back? If you could do it all over again, what would it be like?" And she sat there for a second, just shaking her head, and she said, "I would have loved God more." I would have invested in people more. I wouldn't have cared about going out and going to parties and being the center of attention. And I looked right at her and I said, I feel the same way. You know, if I could go back, I, I would take away the things that my wife and I were messing up in, the, the parties that I thought I had to go to, um, trying to fit in. And I wish I could go back and just have invested in people more and gotten to know people better and love God more. I mean, there's so many distractions that I know all you guys are going to be going through. Um, but I tell you what, I'm only three years, two and a half years removed from college, and I, I have regrets. And, you know, my biggest regret is that, you know, Jesus wasn't more part of my college experience. Awesome. But I will, last thing, I, I ask that you would pray for me um, as I'll pray for you guys. Just pray for me over the, you know, the next however many years I play golf that, you know, I wouldn't buy into the success, um, that that wouldn't appeal to me, that I would continue to, to try to, to keep God as my treasure and, um, you know, I, I really appreciate you guys having me here. It's been a blast. I know it's been short, but I appreciate everything. Awesome. Well, let's. Um, why don't we uh, pray uh, for Webb? And he's uh, the week off, and then next two weeks, uh, big weeks uh, in the FedEx Cup playoffs, and uh, then we'll be going to Australia to play in the President's Cup. Um, and so, just excited. And uh, I got a text this week from a friend that um, said, "I think you were going to be buying dinner this uh, week for some of your buddies." That you're hanging out with, so yeah, I didn't. I didn't hear about that text. <laughs> we'll have to talk about that uh, <laughs> later. So let me uh, let me pray for you, Webb, and then um, we'll share the word a little bit. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be able to hear from uh, Webb, and uh, just thanks for um, how you are just um, in one sense blessing and 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 using this uh, somewhat silly game of golf, um, Lord, for a greater purpose and a greater means to be able to have opportunities to just uh, share how great and how good you are. And so we just uh, 
as he's asked to, to pray for him, we, we are praying that he would treasure you um, more than any other thing on this planet. And uh, so, Lord, guard his heart, protect his mind, and uh, strengthen um, his, Lord, just heart to serve you. And uh, we commit them to you, and, uh, and thank you for this time. In Christ's name, amen. Guys, yeah, let's give it up Thanks, for uh, Webb. Thank you, Webb. Thanks, buddy. Okay, buddy. I'm going to hook it up for you. Well, we appreciate that. And um, if you uh, have your Bible, I want to just take a few minutes with you tonight, not, not long at all, and um, just walk uh, through just a quick glimpse um, of the God that Webb just spoke of. Um, and so maybe you have a, a Bible, maybe you don't, maybe you can listen, but it's Isaiah uh, 66 uh, that we're going to look at tonight for just, uh, just a few minutes, and then uh, we'll shut it, uh, shut it down. And so uh, it's, it's a tremendous joy to be uh, with you guys. Um, I've been doing college ministry for about 14, 15 years at Providence, and uh, I know some of you come there, and we're grateful to God that you come. I know some, some of you, there's some other great churches um, in this uh, area that God has raised up, and I, I know some of you uh, worship there. One of the unique things about Providence that I, I love is um, that we have some young people, but we also have some gray hair and no hair people, and, uh, and, and, and we, we love that because we value that generation uh, to invest in us and pour in us. So the, the mentor that mentors me is 75 years old. He's been married 53 years four kids, 22 grandkids, and uh, he'll come into my office and just says, uh, Dave, let's, let's get on our face uh, because it's almost over for me. I'm, it's all, I'm almost done, but let's get on our face and call out to God and um, let's go after him because I want you, uh, as I hope I do, to hit the tape, the end of the race, the end of the life, still serving and loving Christ. And, and, and so we, we value that from that old generation. And so if you don't have a home church, we'd love for you to join us. We're, we're in an old hotel. It's kind of run down. We did remodel the inside, thank God. Not the outside. still looks horrible. That's okay. Uh, we have a few big roaches in there, but they're mostly prostrate because we've killed them. But it looks like they're worshiping God. But, uh, and so, so you, uh, you come. You join us. We, we love. We have service at 930, 11 o'clock. We have a college class. And, and the next few weeks, we're going to be connecting students with families within the church uh, where you could go over to the house and do laundry and get uh, maybe homemade cooked meals and, and, and do community uh, together. So uh, w- with that said, uh, one last thing, I would show you a quick picture uh, of my family. It's grown since I've, uh, it seems to grow a lot. I've lost count of how many kids. I think it's four, five, something like that. But um, the, the beauty of this picture that I wanted to show you is uh, that uh, it's my wife, Julia. We celebrate 14 years of, of marriage. And then Josh, uh, Elizabeth, Juliana, Rachel. And uh, so boy, three girls, 10, 8, 6, 4. And, um, but the beauty of this picture is, is my wife is, we're, we're at the foot. This is our first tailgate as a full family. So last week, football game, I'm sure you guys were there probably somewhere. This was our first full family because we usually lose one or two kids when we go out in public. But, when, but we, we went out. And as a family, and we tied a rope to our whole family so we would lose them. And, and our first game, and the beauty of this is that my wife is wearing red and black, and she's a Carolina graduate. Is it, is it glorious? It's glorious. Uh, 
So, so God is working greatly in my wife's life, and I'm so grateful for that. Uh, just a couple other pictures. Uh, my kids, I'm trying to train them in the path that is right. Um, and so there they are. It's, it's, not, the, it's not 15501. Does it, that's not the path that's right, right? It goes toward Chapel Hill. This is a better path. And, uh, and, so, and then a couple of other pictures, I believe. That's my Ray Ray. That's uh, not an alcoholic beverage. That's, uh, that's lemonade. And, uh, and then the whole fam. I think three out of the four. And my wife won't do this quite yet, so pray for her. Uh, she's wearing the colors, but she's not, she's not quite there. But there's hope, so, so just keep praying. So here's what I want to do. Just a quick glimpse. There's going to be two simple things tonight that I want to encourage you from Isaiah 66. Isaiah is a massive book. Uh, it's a weighty book, and it's, um, it's overwhelming at times. This is the last chapter. Isaiah is unique in that it's 66 books. Um, and it parallels some, uh, the whole Bible. 1 through 39 uh, is, is unique and reflects a little bit of the Old Testament. And then 40 through 66, 27 books re- kind of represents the New Testament. It's, just a, it's an awesome book, quoted a ton in the New Testament. But this is his last somewhat word uh, to the people of God. And, and I want us to get a small glimpse of, of two things. So let me read the text, and then we'll dive through it, and then we'll wrap it up and go to Bojangles. This is what it says. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me and what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made. And so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit, and trembles at my word. So what is Isaiah doing? He's reminding his reader as he reminds us tonight of two things. The first is this, is that God displays his greatness through creation, but ultimately through Christ. He's, he's reminding his reader of how great and glorious God is. Look at verse 1. If you have a Bible, if you're not, just listen. The Lord is saying, he's reminding them, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? In other words, at that time, in this context, they would go to a temple where they would worship God, the presence of God. And what God is trying to communicate is that you can't put me in a box. You can't put me in a box at all. You can't limit me. I'm God. Everything that has come into existence came into existence by me, is what he's saying. And I say he's just, he's wanting to tilt their heads, right? To see the vastness of the greatness of God. And in our family worship, we try to do family worship at our house. And it, it's unique. Um, it oftentimes does not finish um, because we do it at table and food is flying. And, and it, it gets ugly sometimes. But this week has been precious because my four-year-old Rachel, we call her Ray Ray, um, has started preschool. And we're sitting at the table and we're talking about God. And one of our topics was the sovereignty of God. And so how, what's that look like for a four-year-old? And so she is starting to tell us 
what she's learning in her first day of preschool of how God, and the way she kind of says it, it's precious, created everything. <laughs> and, and she says, she says this, is what, this is what my Ray Ray said. She says, he didn't make it. He spoke it. He spoke it. I said, Ray Ray, say that again. He didn't make it, Daddy. He spoke it. Ray Ray. Yes, Ray Ray. That's good theology, right? He did just speak it all. She goes, he, and she does her little hands, the precious. She goes, he spoke the flowers, right? And then she gets up from the table and runs over, and she cuts the light off, and she says, let there be light. And flips the light off. And we're just having a theological moment at our table, and it was just absolutely precious. And this is what Isaiah wants God's people to know, and this is what I think God wants us to understand and realize, that He is great. He is glorious. He has made everything. He's Isaiah 40 says, verse 12, that the, the span of his hands, metaphorically speaking, that it covers the universe. And then he flips it, and Isaiah says, the hollow of his hand could hold all the waters of the world. And Psalm 33, 6 says, by the word of God, he spoke the heavens into existence, and by his breath, right, his breath, he placed the stars in the galaxies. That just, that should just start humbling you just a tad. How great he is. There's an app, there's an app for your iPhone that's called Astronomy, Astronomer, Astronomy something, Picture of the Day, A-D-O-P, I believe it is. And, and I'm, trying to get this on my app and figure out all the app stuff. I'm, I'm coming. It's, it's going to work, I'm sure, someday. And, and, but this was three days ago. I'll show you a quick picture, I believe, they might have of, of Saturn of, um, that, that they took and how the light was hitting it. And just immediately when I see things like that, I'm not enamored and all about that. I'm Enamored and all about the one who put that there. I mean, this is amazing. And so, so God, I just want you to know, I'm just trying to exhort you that to be careful that you don't make too much of yourself and think of yourself as being greater than God. Voltaire, the French philosopher, says, says God made us in his image and we've returned the favor to him. Right? He was not a follower of Christ. At all, it's it's called a it's crept in and it runs rampant in the in the West and the most part of the world, but especially in the West, it's called a a me-centered um, mindset. And so, so a healthy way to understand this is there's this theology out there that's called cat and dog theology, where the dog you you pet the dog, you love the dog, you feed the dog, dog gets a biscuit, and the dog looks up and says, "What? Well, you must be God by the way you take care of me." And then the cat theology, the cat gets the same treatment, right? Maybe even a little bit better, right? Some grooming, some fancy feet, whatever you feed those things. And, right? and, and the cat looks up and says, 
I must be God. But, right? And, and this is what happens to us. When the goodness and the kindness of God, right, pours out. I mean, you had your choice of food today. You had your choice of clothing today. You're at a phenomenal university, right? Don't take these things. Right? God is great. He's glorious, right? So just think about the contrast of the difference between someone who's great in the States when someone of great statue comes in, we stand and applaud, and biblical picture of greatness of Christ and God, they fell down. They fall on their face. You can't stand in that type of greatness. So my plea with you tonight is that you would see God as the greatest, the ultimate. And then second and quickly, second and quickly is this. He, he displays his greatness, but he also desires his creatures, ultimately those who made in his image, humanity, to be humble and honor his word. Notice in verse 2. Verse 2, he simply says, this is the one. God is saying, this is the one to whom I will look. And then he identifies it. He says, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. This is the one. This is the one that my favor will rest on. He who is humble. Now, the, the epitome, I believe, of humility is to get to a place in your life where you realize your relationship with the holy, righteous God is broken. The epitome of humility is where you get to a place and a point in your life that you realize that you are in need of a Savior. The epitome of humility is that you get to a point to realize there's nothing good enough for me to do to make men's right with a holy God. And that humility, what it looks like is that you humble yourself, you humble your heart, and you're like, I, I admit it, I confess that I'm not, I'm not all that. And I am in need of someone to help me and ultimately heal me of this disease that I was born with and it manifests itself in so many different ways. And it's called sin. And sin always damages, always destroys Always distance you from a holy God. And so I want to plead with you tonight that you would consider the glorious, greatest news the planet has ever heard or will ever hear that God, in His love and kindness, sent His Son Christ, sent Him. He lived a perfect life, died a horrible death, was buried and rose from the dead and made a right way back to God. That if you would repent and turn and trust in Christ, place your faith in Christ, he, you would be made right with God. All, this, all of your sin, think about this, and you all have it, I have it. All of your sin is put on Christ, and all of His perfection and righteousness is imputed, given to us. It's the most glorious exchange the world's ever heard. And this humility, it's, it's something that is it's, it's not easy at all. Jesus speaks of it all the time. 
This humility comes. It comes in the form of acknowledging that you need a Savior. It also comes in the form of being a servant, right? To serve. I mean, we're some of the most selfish, self-centered people on the planet, right? And, and to cultivate serving, to become a servant. Not go and serve, but become a servant. This is what G- the epitome of this is found in Philippians 2, 5 through 11, when Jesus says he didn't even consider equality with God something to be grass. He could have tapped into that anytime he wanted to, but he didn't. But he chose to become a servant to the point, took on the form and the likeness of a man and, and served in obedience to the point of death. To the point of death. And so I want to I encourage you tonight quickly. I just want to encourage you quickly that he desires for those for those of your, his creatures, those he's made in his image, to, to be humble and to tremble at his word. To tremble. This book, when it's open in your small group Bible studies, when it's studied this weekend, this weekend it'll be studied, right? To, to tremble. We, we've taken it for granted. We have access to it, so we take it for granted. So I'm going to close quickly with this. I want to show you a quick video, and then I'm just going to pray, and we're done. But in this video, this is a people group. This is a people group that is in a, another land in um, Indonesia. Last year, last year, they received the New Testament for the first time. 